Well, good to see each and every one of you, and a tremendous message. I, I just mentioned to Brother Zempel that I couldn't take notes fast enough. I was just writing it down. I'm still trying to stretch up my fingers from the cramping I was getting there, but uh, great truth, and I, I'm going to be praying over those things and desiring for the Lord to continue to teach me uh, uh, concerning the temptation of Christ. The Bible says, as he mentioned, I'm not trying to re-preach his message, but my heart is so full, every man is tempted. And facing a temptation is not a sin, but giving into a temptation is a sin. And uh, the Lord Jesus Christ faced temptation to show us that just as he could win victory, we can win the victory too. But we cannot do it in our own strength. We can only do it in his presence and through his power. So praise God. Amen. Thank you for that. If you grab a hold of that truth, I don't know if it was live streamed or if it was recorded audio-wise, I encourage you to go back, listen to it again. That's one of those messages that's a well that's going to keep on giving. And uh, something when you're writing it down, maybe you overlooked another truth that was being presented. And so take notes the second time. And so I'm certainly going to do that. I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, Would you open your Bibles here this morning to something that the Lord uh, has encouraged my heart about over the years? 1 Timothy chapter number 1, 1 Timothy chapter number 1, verse number 5 down to verse number 7. This is something that my wife and I uh, are seeking to teach our children, something that we desire to live by. This is a message I wish I could preach every week, every church, every place. Uh, But as I've mentioned, I just preach what the Lord lays upon my heart, and it's been several months since I've preached this message Uh, And as the Lord burdened my heart late last night to revisit this passage, he stirred me afresh and anew, and I pray this will be a blessing to you, and I do encourage you to take notes. I really do. Not because we have things to say, but rather the Spirit of God, that still small voice, has truth that he wants to share with you from his word. Um, I was raised that way. We raise our children that way. Try to take notes if you can. Uh, Don't let that distract you from the preaching, but let that reinforce the preaching um, of what God is seeking to present unto you. First uh, Timothy chapter number one, the Bible says in verse number five, would you look here? says, now the end of the commandment or the basis, the foundation upon everything that you do. Let me ask you something this morning. Why do you do what you do? What is your basis as a believer? What is your, to alliterate, the foundation to your fundamentals? Why do you do what you do? What motivates you? What moves you? What compels you? And the Lord is trying to teach us something here. He's trying to reveal unto us and show us what the end or the basis of every single commandment that we do, what it should be born out of. Notice he specifies the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. I'm concerned that there's been such an emphasis over the years, and I'm not accusing this ministry of anything, but just across the board in 21st century Christianity and in churches, I'm concerned that there's been such an emphasis over the years on the what, the message, on the how, the mechanics and the methods. These are externalisms, and that's fine, and that's wonderful, and we need this preaching, and we need this implementation, and we need this sort of education, Um, but if we're not careful, the explanation and the cultivation of the why the motives, the internalisms has been neglected and ultimately it's fallen by the wayside. And things no longer are driven by a desire, a delight. They're driven by duty. And if we're not careful, duty will ultimately, here's the key word, deteriorate into display. And that is a dangerous place to be on display, when everything we do 
should always be born out of these core truths that God lovingly has written in his word. And I pray that the Lord will help us as we study this for the next few moments together. Let's seek him by prayer. Would you pray in your heart as I pray aloud corporately? Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the previous hour and the last message. So life-changing. Thank you for your word that it's truth. Something that we can glean from. Something that we can grow from. I pray that you please help us in this hour. As we look to thee afresh and anew, we ask for an anointing of thy spirit. Holy Ghost, please have great liberty. We ask that your word would have free course. Father, that you would be pleased. Jesus, that you would be magnified. We want you to have preeminence. That's our sole desire. I pray that this message would be transformative in the life of at least one Christian in this room. I believe if we grabbed a hold of this, it would literally revolutionize our thinking of why we do what we do. We love you. We look to thee now as we sit at thy feet. Help us to draw closer to you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Before we dig and glean from this text, let's go back to Proverbs 23. I have it here in my notes and I'm about to quote it to you, but I I would like for you to see this. Proverbs 23, verse number seven. We're gonna journey through a couple of different texts here this morning, just laying some foundation to this message. Proverbs 23, verse number 7. The beginning of this verse makes this statement, for as he thinketh in his where, so is he. As a man doeth in the inside, he will do ultimately on the where? Outside. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And just because this is one thing, and if we're not careful, we can go through the motions and deceive those about us. We can deceive even our pastor and those in authority, our teachers, our professors, and even our parents. And just because we have something on the outside that seems to be, air quote, perfect, it does not mean that it's genuinely reflecting what's deep within the heart. I presume this morning that what we see on the outside is what we also, it's a reflection of what's on the inside. That's the way it ought to be, amen? I'm not coming in here or preaching this message thinking that anyone's guilty of this. I'm just preaching this, by the way, because God's telling me to preach and I'm obeying the Lord. But this is something that we daily need to evaluate in our lives to understand that as we think in our hearts, so are we. Let's journey now seeing an application of this truth described in Daniel 1. Daniel 1, verse number 8, a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. May the Lord help us to dare to be like Daniel, like the old hymn of the faith teaches. Daniel 1. Daniel 1, verse number 8. I presume most of us, if not all of us, have the first few words of this uh, verse memorized. By the way, while you're turning that, I want to ask this question. How many of you have been raised in a Christian home? Would you raise your hand? How many of you have not been raised in a Christian home? Would you raise your hand? I can't. Okay, just a couple. How many of you have a parent, one parent that's maybe not saved? Would you raise your hand? couple. God bless you. I want to know their names. I want to pray for them, okay? Because I believe that God wants them to be saved. But we're talking to a room that's grown up in the culture of Christianity. We see here Daniel also was a young man, I believe, that was raised in a Christian home. He was raised with God-fearing parents. They instilled within him and they trained him to be the young man that he became. It's something that doesn't happen overnight, 
where you flip a switch, but rather it's something that is taught and instilled in the heart of the next generation. We see in Daniel 1.8, the Bible says, but Daniel purposed the resolve, the determination in his where? Heart. I heard about five of you. But Daniel purposed in his where? Heart. Is that external or is that internal? Internal. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And now we see an application of that truth from Proverbs 23, 7 in this verse. But as Daniel purposed in his heart, notice that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. He believed it in his heart, and as a result of what he believed down deep within, it affected him externally. This is who I am, not because of all of this, but because of this. It's interesting, and I don't want to get down in the weeds, is the expression I use in this text. We are journeying here this morning. But what's fascinating is that in the previous verses we find here uh, that uh, uh, the friends that he was surrounded with and those that had been carried into captivity, uh, the Bible teaches us that they uh, had an entire spread before them, uh, uh, entire uh, plates of food that were brought, and how that they could feast. Notice in verse number five, and the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat of the wine, which he drank so nourishing them three years, so on and so forth. Man, all this bounty and this food that they could feast on, their flesh could become fat with, and it was a huge provision. But notice what's powerful about this. Daniel purposed in his where? Heart, that he would not defile himself, not with the provision, but with a portion. He said, I don't want the plate. I don't want the table spread before me. I don't even want a single bite of it. That's how radical he was about holiness. That's how passionate he was about living clean and pure and honoring God with his vessel, with his body. But notice this resolve became a reality, not because of an externalism, but because of an internalism. As a man thinketh in his where? So is he. Daniel purposed in his where? He would not defile himself with a portion of the... We just heard a message about temptation, didn't we? Something that's ingrained in the very fiber of your being. It's not a piece of paper in the front of your Bible. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. Now, thank God for his commandment. It keeps us on the straight and narrow, amen? And I cannot live a day effectively or successfully without his presence, without his power, without his principles without claiming his promises. We need that book right there. And anybody who thinks they can go on and live life uh, effectively or successfully without the Bible is a fool because God promises in Joshua 1.8, hey, and he admonishes this book of the law, the entirety of scripture, uh, Genesis through Revelation, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt what? Is that an internal thing or an external thing? But thou shalt meditate therein day and night. It's all consuming, isn't it? It's not just 30 minutes of devotions in the morning. 
It's not just a class period. It's not just a chapel hour. It's not just a spiritual awakening, uh, awakening conference. It's not just these moments, these highlights throughout the day, but it's a continuing instant. It's a, a constant contact with God, uh, a heart that desires to be completely in sync uh, with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus Christ and with the Father. And I pray that you have the balance of the Trinity in your life, uh, that you know how to pray to the Father. You know how to pray to Jesus. You know how to pray to the Holy Spirit. And you have a relationship with all three. It's a beautiful thing. We're not heavy-handed in any of those areas. We're well-balanced with unity in the Trinity. As we go forward, understanding that God has given us his word, we need to meditate therein day and night. Why? That thou mayest observe to do according to all. Now, observing to do, is that internal or is that external? That is external. I'm doing it. It's not just a thought, it's not just a desire, it's not just a determination, it's not just a resolve, uh, but rather a purpose, but rather it's now a practice. My purpose has become something that is becoming a physical reality. It is outside of me, it's affecting me, it's uh, uh, moving me, it's something that's changing my life and potentially changing the lives of those around me. Because Daniel affected three others, didn't he? And these four, as they stood in a minority, they changed the heart of a king and even a nation. God used them in a great way, and that's somewhat of the premise of our ministry. Remnant ministries, God has never needed a majority to make a difference. You look through the track record of Scripture, he specializes in the impossible, and he doesn't need a lot of people uh, to bring about the miracles. Amen? Now, we've got to be careful not to have that Elijah syndrome after he won great victory. He was tempted, was he not? He was tempted with self-centeredness. He was tempted with doubt. He was even tempted with the thought of suicide after such great spiritual victory. And depression and discouragement all these times. And by the way, just to interject, and I'm not trying to preach your message, uh, but I love how it dovetails together, and the Lord's doing it. I have no intention of this, but just minding the Lord through this. It's fascinating that many times uh, temptation will come and temptation will rise after the spiritual victories and after the successes of life. I have a lesson that I teach young men about the life of Joseph. While my wife is teaching a split session on purity and patience and all that, the Lord leads us to Joseph and sometimes Daniel and others in the Bible, David uh, and Moses and such. But uh, Joseph, and Joseph, he was tempted, was he not? Genesis 39. But notice the temptation came when he was spiritually okay. When everything was, man, it was great. I mean, he was a slave, yes. Uh, he was rejected by his brethren. He was down in the midst of Egypt, a heathen culture where nobody, nobody could give a rip about the things of God. Man, it was a heathen, uh, a wicked, filthy society, and he was surrounded by this, but yet he followed the Lord, and he had a relationship with the Lord, and he minded the Lord, and God blessed him, and God was with him. You know, it's interesting, he didn't have the Holy Spirit and he didn't have the Bible, he didn't have a church. So what's your excuse and mine? But yet we see that God blessed him and when all this was taking place, Potiphar trusted this slave, Joseph, so much that he said, you know what, I don't even, I don't even need to know what I own, what I don't own. You just take care of it and you handle it. My heart completely trusts in you, young Jewish boy, about the age of you young men in this room. There, it was during that season that Potiphar's wife cast her eyes upon this young man. She said this, she said, lie with me. We find in Genesis 39, verse number 9, that as John R. Rice used to preach, Joel said no. How? 
how can I commit this great wickedness and sin against God? He resisted and he ran. He had a battle plan, didn't he? And if this was to arise, he knew before it happened what he was going to do, but in the following verses, it's powerful. We oftentimes, if we're not careful, stop just in the verse 9, but we see that after that, verse number 10, 11, right in there, uh, that Potiphar's wife uh, uh, says, day by day, wasn't just a one and done thing, but it was a day by day. She tempted him and tried to seduce him. And what's fascinating is that the temptation changed. It originally began with this. Hey, lie with me. And then it went to this. Well, just be next to me. Or just be in the same room with me. That's how the devil works, isn't it? if we won't do the thing that he wants us to do and God gives us the victory in this area and we resist and we run and we get that victory through Christ as even Jesus was, the temptation left for a season, which by the way, I found something stunning um, and, and, and just bear with me here, all right? I, I'm just trying to hold on for dear life but he was reading that passage and the Satan was saying, if thou be the son of God, did you see that in the Bible? And my mind went to our Christmas show and one of the, one of the lines uh, that that we wrote into the crucifixion scene is where the Pharisee says, if thou be the son of God, come down off the cross and we will all believe. I began to frantically look through my Bible and there in the book of Matthew, I saw this, that wording and how that tied, man, that's crazy. Satan said, if thou be the son of God, and here you got this Pharisee at the foot of the cross saying the same phrase. I don't know what that had to do with anything, but that was just something that God kind of revealed to me as we journeyed. That was great. But here's the thing. The devil, he changes his tactic. And just because you get victory in one area, he's still going to be after you. He's a roaring lion walking how? Which means 360 degrees. Can you stand here quickly? Quickly, quickly, quickly. Come on, come on. Here we go. Face them, face them, face them. Come on, quickly. Here we go. All right. What are you smiling at? walking about. Well, I, I can't get him here, so I'm going to try to get him here. I, I can't get him here, so I'm going to try to get him here. I can't get him up here, I'm going to try to get him here. I can't get him here, I'm going to try to figure out a way to be able to infiltrate myself into his life. Thank you, maybe seated, I appreciate that. And how that there with Potiphar's wife is Joseph sought to resist the temptation, lie with me, then lie next to me, or just be in the same room with me, how that it changed, but praise God that Joseph consistently found victory, uh, and I believe it's because what helped, Joseph, what helped uh, Jesus, what Jesus did is exactly what Joseph did, and uh, he followed the Lord, and the Lord was with him, and I believe that he had a heart's desire to honor God, just as Daniel did. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Notice, with a portion of the king's meat. Don't give me the provision. Don't give me the placing of it. The entire table spread. I don't even want a bite of the food. I will not defile myself. And it was something here, internalism, the why that affected him without, and it became the what, the method, the motive became the method. Journey with me to Matthew 15 quickly. I thought all this was just gonna take two or three minutes. Matthew 15, verse number six. So 
So God gave you truths Sunday night with Brother Van Gelderen about victory. Well, just understand the devil's going to change this tactic to get you to not have victory. The weakness that Brother Zempel was talking about and preaching about was used of God to address. Understand the devil still knows that to be a weak area. A weak area that you may desire through the wisdom of God's word to strengthen and reinforce, but he's still going to try to figure out a way craftily to get a place and a foothold in your life in that area. I'm thankful that we can still have the victory in any capacity. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The Bible says, notice, as we now get back uh, more toward 1 Timothy 1, uh, we've certainly taken the roundabout way and the scenic tour, so to speak. Matthew 15, verse number 6. Um, Matthew 15, verse number 6, the, the Lord is speaking here and says, And honor not his father nor his mother. Oh, excuse me. Matthew 15, 6. This is the wrong passage of Scripture. Look it down at verse number uh, 8. Verse number 8. The Bible says, This people draweth nigh, Matthew 15, 8. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth. Externalism. And honoreth me with their lips. Externalism. But their heart, internalism, is what? Far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Why are we being brought to this text, Matthew 15, verse number 8 and 9? It's because Jesus is exposing and Jesus is revealing unto us that if we are hypocritical, if we are not genuine without and within, if our motive does not match our method, if our motive does not match our message and all that we do, um, the internalism and the externalism, God sees right through it. And God will not be mocked, by the way, and I believe that grieves the Holy Spirit of God. Just hear me out for a moment. This may get dicey. I pray that God will use this. While convictions are necessary in the Christian life, they do not make you spiritual. Walking with God in a daily, intimate, moment-by-moment communion relationship with God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. This is what brings that heavenly sweetness of his presence to radiate from within you and to without you. This is what will change who you are, what you do, and ultimately why you do what you do. This is what we have labeled as spirituality. The truth is, listen carefully, if any of us in this room have biblical convictions without a walk with God, we're Pharisees. We're Pharisees. If we have a walk with God without biblical convictions, we're hypocrites. Now, we should be neither, amen? So let's go ahead and walk on with the Lord. And let's go ahead and have biblical convictions and be unashamed about it. Why? Because this is God's word. And as we see it before us, praise the Lord, thy word is truth. And he has magnified his own word above his very name. And he wants us to have a love and a passion and a pursuit for this precious book. 
But we must understand that there are dangers and there are ditches on either side of this narrow road. And here in 1 Timothy chapter number 1, verse number 5, God is trying to teach us something. This is something that I des- desire to daily live by. I ask specifically uh, the Holy Ghost, please convict me when I stray. Expose it. Put your finger on it. Reveal it. I do not want to grieve you. I want to honor you in all things. And this is what you have for me. This is what we teach our children. David, who's 10? Jonathan, he's 8. Alyssa is 6. Juliana is 3 and, and things. But this is what we teach our children ultimately as parents. Yes, we teach them the Bible, but we are seeking to teach them the basis, the foundation, the end, so to speak, of the commandment. This is why you do what you do. And I believe if my children can get this, I believe if you can grab a hold of this, if we continue my all of us live by this everything else will naturally fall into place and it's going to become a no-brainer well yeah I'm gonna live for God well duh yeah that makes sense of course we're gonna do it let's go forward amen no longer do we have to twist people's arms or try to convince them or try to persuade them or try to reason with them no but rather within there's a natural desire and delight because the motives and the internalisms are biblically the way they ought to be Is everybody good? Are you minding the Lord this morning? Notice now what the Bible teaches in the last few moments that we have in this hour. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 1, verse number 5, now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. Would you say that phrase with me, uh, charity out of a pure heart? Let's say this together, 3, 2, 1. Charity out of a pure heart. One, One more time, charity out of a pure heart. I'd like to word it this way. What's the foundation? What's the basis of everything we do? What is it born out of? I do what I do, number one, because of a sweet love for Christ. Charity out of a pure heart. I have no agenda. I'm just transparent. I'm authentic. My motives are pure. I love Jesus. I'm not saying and singing I love Jesus and then secretly living other ways. But rather, he has all of my heart a sweet love for Christ. This word charity here is the New Testament Greek word of agape. And oftentimes throughout the New Testament, God uses the word agape for our love um, uh, uh, for him. And it also describes his love for us. And what's wonderful, this word agape, uh, just bear with me. This is the definition God has given me. Agape love is a genuine fascination infatuation and captivation. Head over heels in love, amen? I have agape love for my wife. When I see her Wednesday, my socks will literally go up and down on my leg because I am still head over heels, fired up for the most beautiful woman in the universe. And we know that there's only life on planet Earth, but we'll just go ahead and say the whole thing, the universe. Katie Sawyer, who became Katie Garraway, Praise God, whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing. Amen. It's favor of the Lord. Infatuation. Remember when we first, I won't go down that with the story and everything. We'll be here for another hour and such. And I know that when it clicks noon, the internal stomach, the alarm says, let's go. 
Amen? We feasted for two hours in the Bible. Give me 20 minutes to feast uh, so we can continue to go on, all right? Uh, But anyway, we're going to try to be honorable to that time. My wife and I are madly in love, and the truth is, I wish she was here so you could see her glow about this, but we are more madly in love now than when we first got married. Sounds a little weird, like, well, you were not in love when you got married? Absolutely, we were in love. Head over heels. I can't do a cartwheel. I'll break my neck. But you know what? In my mind, yes. I mean, those back doors open, and she came walking down the aisle, and uh, there uh, saw her in her wedding garment. It was wonderful, and my heart was palpitating. It's palpitating right now as I share this story. And they're seeing her. (laughs) I I remember uh, just smiling from ear to ear. Began to do one of these. My best man over here said, come on. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful wedding ceremony. We, we, we had a long uh, ceremony. We wanted to because we, we wanted to be able to remember it. And, you know, you only get married once and, and, and took the time. And it was wonderful. Had our parents pray over us. And it was just beautiful. But there came a moment when the preacher said, you may kiss the bride. <laughs> And, you know, lifting a veil, and I looked at her and I said this, are you, are you ready for this? <laughs> I wasn't ready for it. <laughs> and kissing a woman for the first time on the lips, and she's the only woman I've ever kissed, and I pray that'll be my dying testimony. I have kissed other women. What? My mother's Italian. You always give her a kiss on the cheek before you go to bed at night. Otherwise, it, something's off, you know, and she'll come into your room and say, what's wrong, you know? I kiss my daughters on the cheek. I've never kissed my daughters on the lips. I kiss my boys on the cheek. I gave my father a kiss every single night before I went to bed. I give my, uh, I've never kissed my mother-in-law on the cheek, but I have kissed my father-in-law on the cheek. <laughs> say, man, this guy's strange. It's the Italian blood. Give me, cut me some slack. I've kissed my grandmothers on the cheek. I'm just now trying to think all the women I've kissed on the cheek. Okay. <laughs> A genuine infatuation. Does that describe your relationship with Jesus? A genuine captivation. I have eyes for only one woman. You were talking about the billboard, and there's times that I've, I've grieved the Lord in that. I felt nasty. But when those things happen by God's grace and thank the Lord a majority of the time and I pray that's my dying testimony and I want it to be every single time when I face that crossroads, one of the reasons why I don't look, I know it's wrong, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit and quench his power, uh, but beyond that, I love my wife and she deserves to have a pure husband. I will not look at that smut and I will not see those things or let my mind go to those places or think about a woman or any of that stuff because I love my wife and she has my heart and I know I have hers. I trust my wife 2,000%. I don't ever wonder about her and vice versa. There is a genuine love. It's a biblical love, an agape love. This is the word that's being used in 1 Timothy 1, verse number 5. The end of the commandment, the basis, the foundation of everything you do as a Christian daily in your life should always be born out of a sweet love for Christ. 
a genuine fascination, infatuation, and a captivation. As it says in the book of Song of Solomon, I am his and he is mine. First John, don't turn there, please. Uh, you could jot it down, but First John 4.19, it's the same word. We love him because he first loved us. Could it be that we don't passionately love Jesus the way we should because we've forgotten how passionately he loves us? See, he looks at you and he loves you with an agape love. He has an infatuation for you. Do you understand that, yes or no? He has a genuine fascination about you. I love Psalm 139. Our children have memorized that chapter and there's a reason for it because we're trying to teach them that God loves them and God delights in the details of your existence. He knows every single uh, thought. He knows every single step. Uh, Jesus says he knows even the number of the hairs that, he has on, that you have on your head. Every single moment you stand up and sit down, Psalm 139 teaches us, he keeps track of that. Who in the world keeps track of that? Have you done that today? I'm keeping tally marks real quick how many times I've stood up and sat down. No, but God does. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Oh, look. Oh, she just stood up. She just stood up. Look at that. Look at that. You're saying, oh, that's silly. It's Bible. Let's just take God at his word. He has an agape love for you, a fascination. Man, what's going on in his life today? And just to apply that for a moment, is it just hit me like a ton of bricks? And could it be that we... Keep your nose out of my business. Buzz off. Leave me alone. That's what a lack of prayer is, by the way. It's ultimately one of the greatest forms and expressions of pride because we're telling God, I do not want to commune with you. I do not want to fellowship with you. I do not want to talk with you. I do not want your hand, the unseen hand, the invisible hand of God. I don't want that leading me and guiding me. I don't want your thoughts for me. I don't want your will to be done in earth as it is in heaven. Oh God, stay out of my business. And ultimately, it's boiled down to the fact that we've forgotten he loves us and he delights in us. He desires what's best for us. His relationship and his outlook upon you as an individual is agape. I pray here this morning that from this day forward, I pray this is the way you've lived your life thus far, but from this day forward, you will make that resolve in your heart and purpose within yourself. Oh God, uh, when I'm engaged in everything that I do in my life, whatever it is that your word directs me to do, whatever it is that your will guides me to do, God, I want it born out of charity from a pure heart. I believe if I teach my children to have a sweet love for Christ, they are not gonna second guess and they're not going to hesitate to live for God and obey his word. I'm going to use this pulpit mic just for a moment. I asked Brother Stephen this morning via text for Plato. Probably a very unique request for an illustration. <laughs> Join with me in your Bibles to 1 John 2. And this is amazing. This dovetails with the previous message. I love it. And you know what's crazy is that I texted Brother Stephen, as you're turning there, uh, I, t <laughs> I texted Brother Stephen uh, during the hymn and during that special, I said, I wish I could preach now, because the messages just went with that, those hymns. And he said, no, it's okay, God will, God, God will tie it all together. And, and he did. 
It was needful for that message that we just heard. Notice what the Bible says in 1 John chapter number 2, verse number 15, out of verse number 17. God teaches us something. This is not a suggestion. You understand that, right? You understand that. This is not a suggestion. This book, is capital B book, is not filled with suggestions. It's scripture. It's commandments. Now, he's sovereign, but he's created within you a free will, hasn't he? That's crazy. But he, he, he backs off, says, listen, you can do whatever it is that you want to do. This is what you ought to do. Says, love not the world. What, what are we talking about? We're talking about the corrupt cultural system of a lost culture, society. Love not the world, neither the things. Don't look at me. Look at the Bible. We're reading the Bible. Maybe you have it memorized, but look at the Bible. That was a little bit of a rebuke there, wasn't it? <laughs> Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. I think what's really gripped me about this is God help us to have preachers who will once again have boldness behind the pulpit of wood to define the things. Parents that will define the things. Christians that will be willing in their own life to define the things. Touch not the unclean thing. We like to have generalities. Let's start preaching against sin. And not be general about it. I'm not talking about hating people. We hate sin. We love people. The reason we're preaching in the first place is because we love people. We're trying to help people. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You cannot love the world and the things of this world and love Jesus at the same time. And even though you may be going through the motions and you've got the externalisms, you've got the methods and you've got the mechanics and you've got the message, the motive is off. God is grieved with this and ultimately we have deteriorated down into a display Christianity and we're living that of what we found in Matthew 15 8 and 9. We're worshiping God with our mouths and we're rendering unto him oh so wonderful music and all this glorious praise unto Jesus in the sanctuary. But God sees the heart. God knows down deep inside, man, I'm grieved. I want to accept their offering, but it, their heart is far from me. The things that are in the world. Could it be, and I'm not real good at sculpting, but I've tried to make a heart. I don't know if you can see that. It's really not that good. My kids could do better. Okay. Well, got a love for money. Accumulations stuff, you know. Um, self. Appearance. Could it be you spend more time in the mirror than on your knees? So while you're getting ready, just talk to the Lord. Why not do it together? As you're curling your hair, as you're combing your hair, as you're brushing your teeth, whatever it is that you're doing, I don't know what ladies do in the bathroom. Do it with the Lord. That's one thing I love about Billy Sunday. I want to write a biography on his life someday. I don't know if the Lord will ever let me, but I, I love studying about his life. 
Homer Roadheaver used to say, you know, and we have a documentary out about him. You can see it on our YouTube channel. Um, but Billy Sunday one, and Homer Roadheaver on the film talking about this, taken from an old clip. You know, sometimes when you were walking down the hallway past the bathroom, you could hear Billy Sunday talking to the Lord about what he was going to preach. Now, Lord, I don't know if this is what you'd have me to talk about, preach about today, but you'll just have to show me. You'll just have to tell me. Ma Sunday got used to it. <laughs> At times, she, uh, you know, would be going down the road and walking down the sidewalk, and Billy would start talking, and he wasn't talking to her. He was just talking to the Lord about it. In the automobile, on the way to the meeting, or at different places, or going out to the lake, or something like that, uh, just talking to the Lord. Not some made up, not just some, uh, you know, going to the motions thing uh, where it was uh, flamboyant like the Pharisees became and all those people. But rather this was something genuine that was within that just so happened to affect the without. Uh, and he was constantly talking to the Lord. Maybe that's something that you need to start doing. Talk to the Lord. We're so much in love with self, ambitions and appearance, popularity, the approval of men. Sports can become more than a love of God. Entertainment, movies, and television shows, carnal things, and the list is long on that. Uh, even food. Gluttony is a sin. We don't hear a lot of preaching about that. But gluttony is a sin. Take care of your body. You only get one of them. <laughs> God wants us to be able to eat the fat and drink the sweet. Joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah 8.10. And enjoy life. Man, it's wonderful. But sometimes we get uh, into the excess and we're more excited about, man, I, I love food. You should meet my pastor, Joseph Brown. He is a foodie. My wife and I, when we get home off the road, we're foodies, man. We love to be able to cook. I love to make quiche, you know, get that custard filling and you know, onions and all that stuff and the various cheese blends and homemade mac and cheese that we make. Everything that I like revolves around cheese. Cheesecake, you know, all this stuff. It's wonderful. That's why I have to jog every morning. <laughs> I do. I got a treadmill or I go to the gym or plan a fitness early in the morning when nobody's there. Hotel's got one. I just by myself. I just crank it up. Went four and a quarter miles uh, this morning. I needed that desperately. <laughs> but food, we get a love of food. And uh, I'm not trying to throw my pastor on the bus by bringing him up. But man, uh, he, he's great. He loves the Lord and he's got a great relationship with the Lord. He loves food, but he loves Jesus more than food. <laughs> but man, he'll, we'll have him over to the house. We made chicken Alfredo the other day. Has cheese in it. Uh, and heavy whipping cream. And oh my word, he was so excited. And there in that moment, you just have to know his personality. He was like, oh, as he had the food in his mouth, he said, oh, he said, everyone, please, shh, moment of silence. He's got his eyes closed and he's chewing on it. Oh, it's so wonderful. <laughs> but I know that he meets with God multiple hours a day. As a walk with the Lord, he craves the anointing of the Holy Spirit. More than the indwelling, the presence of God. He wants the anointing of the Spirit. Two separate things. The power of God upon him. Oh, here this morning, God, help us. There's even addictions and there's lusts and all these various things in which carnal cravings, sensual and sexual things, and it's certainly a big problem in Christianity. And God says, I don't want the leftovers. I want all your heart. Is he not worthy? All of all of our heart. There should not be any sin in our life. Amen. I keep getting down to the weeds. just want to say this. We'll never be perfect, but there's nothing wrong in striving to be perfect. 
be ye holy, for I am holy. You know what I have to do? I pray through Psalm 51. I mentioned that over dinner last night. Pray through Psalm 51 uh, at least once, sometimes multiple times a day, depending on my flesh and all these things. I want to glorify the Lord. Sometimes as I face the temptation, prayer in that instance takes my mind off of the urge of the flesh and put my, puts my mind upon the urgency of what my heavenly Father would delight within me to do. Continuing instant in prayer and seeking the Lord and these things that may be about us, that we may like things, and there's a proper place for that to enjoy. If a man uh, to eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor, this is a gift of God. Don't downplay the blessings of heaven. Amen. Not trying to downplay that or diminish that, but we got to make sure that we don't love those things more than we do the Lord. And could it be that we have fallen out of love with Jesus Christ? And the Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. It says in verse number 16, for all that is in the world, look at it, the lust of the flesh. What is that? Now, please take these stones and make them bread. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. Let me show you the kingdoms of the world. In an instant, all of this can be yours. Lust of the eyes. The pride of life. Come with me to the pinnacle of the temple. You see how this dovetails? This is amazing. Did we talk before? No. Come with me to the pinnacle of the temple. Throw yourself down. The angels are going to bear you up. Obviously, we know that your father's not, not going to let you die until you go to the cross. Do it. Do it. Jump. Jump off. Wow. They will see you, and they will immediately melt and worship you and magnify you. Pride of life. Jesus' heart was in the right place. And as he was in his heart, so was he without his heart. Jesus is worthy to have all of our heart. And could it be that we are guilty of giving him the leftovers? Amy Carmichael wrote this. From all that dims thy Calvary, O Lamb of God, deliver me. She often prayed, Lord, do thou turn me into love. Uh, Lord, do thou turn me all into love and all my love into obedience and let my obedience be without interruption. Motive affected the method. J. Wilbur Chapman, wonderful evangelist God used. He took Billy Sunday under his wing as a preacher boy. J. Wilbur Chapman declared, anything that dims my vision of Christ or takes away my love for him or removes my taste for Bible study or cramps my prayer life or makes Christian work difficult, it's wrong for me and I must turn away from it. Jesus deserves to have all of our heart. 
May it be molded and fashioned into that. Allow me to read for the sake of time, and I'll transition back to this handheld uh, here at this time. The Bible says in Mark chapter number 12, just listen, verse number 28, it says, And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceived that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength, these ultimately are internalisms. This is the first commandment, and the second is like unto it, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. A sweet love for Christ, a sweet love for companions in our community. Uh, may our lives be molded by this and moved by this. May God give us a generation uh, of Christians and young people and individuals and pastors and church members whose hearts burn for our sweet Lord. Their lives are ablaze with love and adoration for Christ that nothing can extinguish. This is genuine revival living. Many times mighty moves of God in yesteryear commenced with great force when people fell back in love with Jesus Christ. Did we not sing the hymn, Here is Love This Morning? How Flory Evans in that prayer meeting in 1904 was used of God to spark, ignite that Welsh revival when she stood there in that meeting with tears streaming down her cheeks. And this was not externalisms. This was internalisms that just happened to affect the externalism. And by the way, don't stifle emotions. We're not looking for emotion, but we're looking for a spiritual movement. And sometimes the spirit of soul moved. It affects the physical. It affects the emotions. And there she was weeping genuinely before others and before the Lord. And she declared softly, I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart. Whew. The bottom fell out as we heard the phrase used. May God give us a generation like this. Stop and evaluate your heart. Is this why you do what you do? I don't have time to preach the rest of this message this morning. I don't know if the Lord will let me revisit this text. In conclusion, let me give you the other two points, not to preach them, but just so that way you can jot them down. God has had a message for us today. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And don't be just a hearer of the word, be a doer of it also. 1 Timothy 1.5, now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience. Number two, we're talking about a sound mind from Christ. Good means upright, excellent, honorable. It's talking about thinking straight. How in the world are we going to think straight? It can only be found in one place through one person, the Word of God. And Jesus Christ is the Word of God. This book right here. Jeremiah 8 9, just listen, says this, The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the Word of the Lord, and what wisdom is in them. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in, you get the idea? In you, in all wisdom. James 3 talks about a wisdom that comes uh, from this world and we shouldn't desire that at all. Uh, it doesn't descend from above, but rather we should desire that which descends from above. Desire uh, the wisdom of God and let that fill us and flow through us. Let's look to the Bible. Uh, number two, us, a sound mind from Christ. Uh, this is why we should do what we do. We do what we do because our lives have been built upon this book. We have the mindset, you know, the Bible says it. I believe it. 
The Bible says it, that settles it. Can't persuade me otherwise. I'm not doing it because I have to. I'm doing it because I get to. I love Jesus, he's given me the Bible, and thank God that I've got it in my language. Thank God I can daily read it. It can affect me. It can change my thinking, and I can get the mind of Christ, and there's a whole lot to this. We're just skipping to the third point. Number three, a sincere faith in Christ. A sincere faith in Christ. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 1, verse number 5, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart, of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned. A faith that is not fake, but it's real. We genuinely believe in God. Listen, if I could teach my kids, I'm a parent, I'm in the thick of this. If I could teach my parents to love Jesus, to think, not like this world thinks, but think like how Jesus wants to think, according to the Bible, and to have faith in the Lord, everything else is gonna fall into place. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, how many of you know that? I'm not gonna have you stand up and quote it, but we're gonna quote it together. Three, two, one. Trust in the Lord with all thy... Oh, hold on, hold on. All thine what? And lean not unto thine own understanding. Let's quote the rest. I promise I won't cut you off. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Genuine faith. I close with this. Are you convinced, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that nothing is too hard for God, and that God has your best, absolute best, interest in mind? Do you believe that down deep within? Because if you do, there'll be no hesitation to go forward in the will of God or in the work of God. You're going to dive in head first, as I used the expression earlier this week at some point. Are you convinced that he is able, present tense, to do exceeding abundantly above all that which we ask or think? Of course, this is only unleashed, as the verse concludes, according to the power that worketh in us. And that's talking about this work of power that rests within us is the work of faith. Believing in God. Do you believe that he can do the impossible and faith is the unshakable belief that God will always move and work in unknown circumstances for our good and for his glory. Faith. Here's an application of that. What miracle do you have on your prayer list right now? and you already believe that it's going to become a physical reality at some point in time in the future, you just don't know when. I was preaching with a gentleman by the name of David Gibbs a couple years ago. Our paths cross every a couple times a year, give or take, preaching together, and he said that, and that convicted me. And ever since I embraced that, life has been transformative. Yes, I believed in God, and I believe that he could do the miraculous. But faith without works is dead. My dad used to say this. He was just Brooklyn, New York. I tell you, he would say this. Put your money where your mouth is. You have a good talk. What about your walk? Why, man, just the financial bill and just this and that and the future, I don't know. 
I understand the concern, the apprehension for the future. We can't see the future, but is he not the same yesterday, today, and forever? Do you believe in him that he will lead you and you are not going to be abandoned or forsaken? Then let us go forward for God with a heart full of faith, without hesitation, without deviation, full resolve, and there is an internalism that fuels us and brings us to the point of doing what we do externally, and I pray that every single one of you would get a hold of this, and this would change your life from this day forward, that the reason you are who you are and the reason you do what you do is because of charity of a pure heart. It's a sweet love for Christ and of a good conscience. It's a sound mind from Christ. You will have to pull this Bible from my dead hands. A sincere faith in Christ of a faith unfeigned. May the Lord help us to rise up as a generation as such.